Hold on, you're going to have to tell me how to pronounce your uh, last name, Brandon. So you're lucky I go by my middle name, which is Brendan, but um, it's funny, I got a phone call because I have a doctor. Oh, what's your first name? Oladele. Oladele. I, yeah. don't, I don't think that's on your Instagram. No, it's not because I, I just go by Brendan. Everyone knows me as Brendan, but all my family calls me Dele because I'm Nigerian, right? So Nigerians right. have these big names, so it's Oladele. Is, this, is that where you get the size from? It's got to be. The head, every Nigerian's got a big head and big shoulders, right? <laughs> so what do people refer to, like, uh, like professionally? Like, people, so people re- so my last name's Ayan Badejo, but everyone calls Ayan me. Ayan Badejo. Yep. See, that's the, that's the, that's the African in you coming Ayan out. Ayan Badejo. Yep. Guys, we got Brandon Ian Badejo in the building. Thank you for joining us, Brandon. He's an NFL veteran, Super Bowl 47 champion. Yeah. Three times Pro Bowl. Man, you, you, you're very accomplished on and off, off the field. So uh, I wanted to like chop it up if you pick your brain about business and uh, family, life in general. So um, thank you for making the time to come today and join us. Yeah, I'm excited. Max of mine. I'm excited. I'm probably the only person that's like, Max, I got to be on your podcast because I love, you know, I love who you are and I love what you do. So I wanted to, you know, uh, have some synergies with you. And I know we already do. But uh, yeah, yeah, we, we've trained together, but we never like took some time to chop it up and get right, to know each other. So. Right. But, but sometimes that's a that's a um, when you work out with somebody, that's an unspoken language and unspoken communication. So you can tell a lot about somebody by working out with them. And now when I do business meetings, it ain't over dinner or coffee. It's a workout first. And then, but you know, once we work out that, together, That's how I then usually do decide. my dates. Like, I'm like, let's, let's go to Runyon. And they're like, what? They're like, I want to go to, um, they're probably trying to go to, like, uh, Nobu or something. And you're like, no, we're right. going to Runyon. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, it's, it's, it sometimes works out, sometimes it doesn't, because it's fair to take somebody out to dinner. But then it's like, if I don't really know you, that's a lot of dinners, a lot of first dinners. But anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, <laughs> you get the communication though like you know you you'll you'll learn a lot about a person through working out and body language and mm-hmm. effort and dedication and commitment and how they push through being uncomfortable mm-hmm. so if they can get through that then we can get through some dinners together hey i mean that that's where i'm at but i i some not, not everybody's not into like fitness or training so some people take it the wrong way they're like is that how it works these days i gotta go work out with you first um, yes, so I'm, that's the I'm, filter right there. I'm flexible. It, it is a nice filter. Or, or I take them to church. Uh, be like, let's meet me at church real quick right. this weekend. And they're like, what's that? I'm like, all right. Uh, Got to line up spiritually, yeah, right? You do. Well, my brother, you um, did you grow up in Nigeria? So um, I was born in Chicago, Illinois. And when I was two weeks old, my mom, my dad, my brother, and I, we moved back home to Nigeria. And so we were in Lagos for about three years. And then we moved back to Chicago. And then spent until I was 10 in Chicago and then moved to California. And that's when life really changed. Well, why did you guys go back to Nigeria? So, so well, I think the bigger question is why, it's not why did we go back to Nigeria. It's why did we leave Nigeria and come back to the United States is the bigger question. Because my dad wanted us home. So my name is Oladele is my first name. And that means wealth follows me home. So my grandma, which wealth traditionally. follow me home. Yeah, wealth follows me home. So you're, traditionally your grandparents name you in Nigerian culture. So my grandma named me knowing that my dad was going to bring us all back home. And then things didn't work out with my mom and dad because my mom's Irish American. She's Irish Catholic American at that. 
and my dad's Nigerian and my dad had another wife there when my mom showed up. And not only oh, was she the only white person in, in our community, she was also a second wife, which she didn't know about. She didn't know until she got to Nigeria? She didn't know until she got there. Which, like, <laughs> Nigerian custom, you know, back in, you know, back in 1970s, you know, it's like that, I, that was kind of okay. I don't have to tell you. I mean, obviously you should, right? Like, you want to, like we talked about, like, you take someone to church, like, you want to line up spiritually, you know what I'm saying? Right. But, um, so, for whatever reasons, that's just, you know, I, you know, I can't talk about why my dad did what he did, but um, my mom, you know, she, she pushed through for a few years, and then ultimately was toxic for her, especially the way that she grew up, and um, she had to leave, so. So that's why you guys didn't stay in Nigeria. That's why we didn't stay. And then you went to Chicago. You went back to Chicago, right? Yeah, back to Chicago. How long were you there before L.A.? Um, California? So I was in Chicago until I was 10. And in Chicago, like, my mom was a single mom. She had another child with a Mexican father. So now I, in our household, we have Mexican, Nigerian, and Irish. We have a very mixed household. My mom was a single mom, grew up in the projects, welfare, drug dealers, gangbangers. And any before money, or after your, your dad? This is after my dad. And any oh. extra money my mom had, she put into our education. So we, went, we lived in the projects, but we went to private school. Um, and so my mom was a, a teacher when she wasn't being a full-time mom. And so she thought, you know, education was very important to her. But ultimately, she got us out of Chicago. Mm. So then your, your, your father didn't come with? No, my dad stayed, and he's still in Nigeria now, and we talk all the time. We have a healthy relationship. That's great. And, uh, I have a cousin. I have an uncle in Canada, and so I have three cousins that, w that grew up in Canada, so I was able to stay in touch with the family. Mm -hmm. um, I have a 1,000 relatives in Nigeria because my grandfather had There's 10 probably wives. more than 1,000, right? There's oh, you mean like immediate? Literally, yeah, immediate. Ayan Badejo's, there's 1,000 because my, my grandfather had 10 wives, right? So my dad... Wasn't living up to the Ayan Badejo name. He only yeah. had two wives, no. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, these are the customs and the cultures. Right. You know, things change, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of Ayan Badejos running the planet right now. So, in Nigeria, is the custom still like you can have multiple wives? Uh, I, you know, in Muslim countries, you can if you can take care of them. Is Nigeria a Muslim it's country? It's a Muslim country, yeah. Um, even though half the country's catholic and christian and then the other half is muslim but um interesting but yeah uh governmentally uh, officially a lot of the, the the government is still ran by uh by by muslims but um nonetheless your dad was is muslim so he's not but his dad was because his because my grandmother wasn't okay but as long as you can take care of your wife then yes even in the even in the christian and catholic you know kind of like mormons you know as long as you can take care of your wife then they're uh, polyamorous or polygamous. Oh wow! Interesting, right? It's a different different dynamic. What are your thoughts on uh, having multiple wives? Um, I'm not gonna knock it because that that's not how I grew up. But obviously, like I'm married, I have three kids. Um, I know that doesn't fly. My wife's Latina, so I know that don't fly at all. But um, it, I think that certain things were structured because there was some type of benefit to it. Um, but I think in today's society, with access to being safe, access to food and medical care and, and, and shelter in other ways, that it's not as important for a man to be able to just take care of a woman because she needs to be taken care of. I think there's other avenues now that women can be taken care of other than a man. I see. Huh. Yeah, I think it's a, a societal structure, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I'm not gonna knock, you know, you can't, certain things, you, we can't knock how things were in the past. Mm. 
because that's kind of how society was. But of course, we need to evolve and advance to mm. being a more um, inclusive society. Very well spoken, my brother. This is what, what I do. What are you, uh, talk show reporters? <laughs> this is what I do. Um, you, you got a leadership spirit. Um, where does that come from? Is that from your, your father, your mother, or just? Honestly, um, <clears throat> I think it's from my older brother, Obafemi. And that means uh, God loves me or the king loves me. And of course, my grandma named my brother that. Um, but I think it's my brother. He's highly intelligent. He's always been my role model. We're only 18 months apart, but he was kind of like my father figure, my best friend, my brother. And he always made sure that uh, we were taken care of. And he was the, the man of the house, you know, even at a young age. Mm -hmm. And he was a great leader and he still is. So I think a, a lot of those char characteristics I, I get from him, mm. uh, to be honest about it. Yeah. So like... Um did he inspire direction in life as far as sports? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, it's kind of like, you know, your bigger brother that you look up to um, and that, like, I'd fight to the death against. Like, I would try to, like, I would go so hard against him. Friendly but he competition. Would go, yeah, very competitive, always competitive. I had more competition in my house than outside of my house. Really? But at the end of the day, it was healthy because he would, I would try to, my, I would die trying to beat him. But he would just beat me, but he wouldn't die to beat me. You know what I'm saying? So he would just want to beat me, but not enough to, like, destroy me, whereas he could. So, yeah, everything that my brother did, he made sure whatever he accomplished, he made sure that I accomplished the same thing, and I did it better than him. And we did oh. everything. Our careers were almost identical, even to this day, very, very similar. So I just always do it better. But And I am bragging because I'm better than him. <laughs> but he's selfless, and he made sure that I was better than him. Wow. So it's an amazing big brother. Sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's love right there. It is, for sure. And so, like, you went from being cut in the NFL to three times Pro Bowl, Super Bowl champ. Like, how'd you do it? I think that, you know, everyone talks about wins and losses, and everybody talks about I lost or I failed um, or I didn't accomplish this. But what do you learn through failure? Because no success has ever been achieved without multiple failures. And if you achieve something great, you're probably going to fail 100 times before you do something great. Mm. If my kid says, oh, Dad, look, I just rolled and did a flip, I say, okay, cool. But how many times did it take you to do that flip that you just rolled and did? Is it a backflip? Did it take you a thousand tries to do a backflip or did you just roll on the carpet? You know, so I'm very honest with things. So it's I think, a challenge. Uh, yeah, it's a challenge. But it, it, if it's not challenging you, it's not changing you as we already know. But if everybody can do it, then it's also not too difficult mm -hmm. to, to achieve and to accomplish. So I think for me, I learned through my failures and I never gave up. I've always been an underdog too, just starting from my mom leaving Nigeria when I was three and moving and living in the projects and growing up poor. I've always been an underdog. So I just, there's no quit in me. And so I think, you know, I, I like to think I'm intelligent, but maybe even more so I'm just scrappy and I'm going to work hard. I'm going to find a way. Uh, when did you realize, become aware that you were an underdog? Like as a child or after you got in the league? Well, I think I've always known because... You know, when I moved to California, which was, a, you know, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, mm -hmm. which which at the time when I moved there and while I was growing up, it was in the middle of the dot-com era. Mm -hmm. And so all these wealthy people, it was the most expensive place to live in America. I went from the projects to one of the most expensive places to live because all these wealthy people were living in Santa Cruz and they would commute to Silicon Valley. And so that's San Jose, San Francisco, Sunnyvale, but they would live where I grew up, where I lived on the beach. And so when I'm going to the grocery store and I'm using food stamps and, and coupons to buy food, 
and everyone else is loading up their carts and I'm waiting for sales um, on food and I'm buying generic and I see, you know, my friends that I go to school with and they're loading up the carts with everything and they're paying with cash or credit cards and so on and so forth. I knew that I was living a different life than them. Mm-hmm. So um, would you say being an underdog was a advantage? <laughs> Since you know, you- Let's just say my kids don't have the tenacity that I have because my kids grow up very privileged. Mm-hmm. And so they see life very differently. And I think they'll have a harder time finding their way and finding happiness than I did because I always kind of knew what I wanted to do. And I did it because I knew what I didn't have and I knew where the the lifestyle I wanted to live, what I wanted to achieve. I had certain dreams and goals from a very young age. But when things are handed to you all the time, it's different. So I just, yeah, I think that. That becomes a different obstacle, though. It's a different obstacle. It's going to be a little bit harder to find yourself when everything's handed to you. For me, all I had was me, my mom, my brother, my sister. That's all we had was just the love in our family. And, and like, we had to go out and get everything that we had. So um, it's different when you kind of have everything and you have to figure out, who am I without all these other things that are, you know, you live in a nice big house or your dad drives a Tesla and wears a Rolex or whatever. And you can go to whatever school. You can get whatever shoes, whatever clothing. You're eating organic um, your dad and mom are going to pick you up and drive you places. And your dad has all the time in the world to spend with you, to go to your practices and go to your games. Well, who are you? You know, once you take that away, like who, who are you um, as a person and, and what's going to drive and motivate you to achieve and want more and to do bigger and to live up to the Ayan Badejo name. So we'll see. I'm, I'm going to push them. Time to tell. Yeah, the, the conversations are different in, in, in my car with my kids than it was when I was on the bus or on my bike going to practice by myself. You know, when I'm taking my kids to practice or driving them to school, the conversations are very different. Yeah, it sounds like some powerful conversations. Yeah, there's some good conversations that are being had, for sure. It's like our time, you know, like when I'm driving one kid to school or, yeah. or, or one kid to practice, yeah. it's a good time to bond and, and really uh, dive in deep with them on a lot of different topics. Mm-hmm. And so, like, uh, fatherhood is very important to you. Yeah, because, you know, I grew up without a dad. So even though my dad was a telephone call away at times, but man, it, it was expensive to, to call to Nigeria from Chicago. But um, it, you said I, you had a stepdad. Yeah, I did have a stepdad that helped take care of us. And that was very important. He taught me a lot. And most importantly, he taught me how to have pride in being Nigerian and that I'm different because I grew up. I didn't there was no Nigerians in Santa Cruz. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I always had an identity, even though I'm, I'm Irish American. And but the Nigerian side, he always made sure to teach me. And he's a, he's a Caucasian male, mm-hmm. but he made sure to teach me and have pride in being a Nigerian. Um, but Sounds like a good man. He's a great man. And, um, but with that being said, fatherhood was everything to me. I, made, I wanted to make sure that I was there 100% for my kids. And I'm not there to be their friends. I'm, I'm there to be their dad first. Oh, you yeah. So, um, you, you are raising them up Nigerian style then. I mean, it's just one of those things. And, and I, I would imagine your parents are very similar to me, but probably more similar to my dad and my parents. Yeah. But um, we're old. I'm old school. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, there's a lot I had to learn. They taught me a lot because when I was a kid, it was acceptable to be spanked. It's not acceptable to be spanked. So it's I not. No, you can't spank kids anymore. <laughs> You got to go through. I got to do my research before yeah, having so kids. You can't spank your kids. It's abuse now. I mean, maybe it, maybe it always was abuse, but I was spanked. And I think I, I came out pretty good. But um, I wanted, so everything for me as a kid was life or death. You could mess around. Like if, if my mom said, don't go outside. And I went outside, there might have been drug dealers doing something. 
I might have been influenced in drugs. I might have been initiated into a gang. I might have been shot because pe- kids I grew up with were shot and murdered. My neighbors. So sorry to hear that. So, but that that's life, and, and people go through that all the time. And and we think about America, and like there's different levels of of everything that that people experience, right? But um, so it was when my parents said something, it could be life or death. So when I tell my kids things, I kind of carry that stress, that post-traumatic stress. I carry that over and I don't need to, you know, sometimes it doesn't need to be that angst mm. and that stressful because is it life or death, Brendan? Is, there, is it life or death? No. Do you want your kids to listen to you like you listen to your parents? Yeah, but it's not life or death. So they're teaching me things as well. So I got to right. be patient. I got to be, I, I think I'm very loving, but I want to be more loving. Right. Um, I'm very sensitive. I hug my kids, hold my kids, kiss them, tell them I love them, but I want to be even more sensitive. So I'm, I'm still growing into being a parent. I've been a parent for 15 years and I have an 18 month old now and she's teaching me all kinds of things, but um, yeah, parenting's a beautiful thing, but I'm nothing without being a parent. I look forward to that. Um, hopefully, you know, God willing, it's sooner than later because I'm 40 now. So. <laughs> Boy, you're, you're, you're 20 is the new, or 40 is the new 20 because you look good. Thank you. You look I'm, good, I'm brother. I'm going to take that run with it. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I want to talk more about your uh, on, on the field achievements. Um, you said, you know, failure teaches you a lot, but a lot of people fail, and they don't, they're not achieving what you achieved on the football field. So what separated you? from like you know, other peers that failed and that were cut. Like you told me a lot, but like what, what did you, right. what type of work did you have to put in to like? Well, I, I think the first thing is that there's over 7 billion people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody has to work at McDonald's, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody had to come here and fix the AC today. Somebody had to pave that street that we just drove down or the sidewalk that we just walked on. Are they living their dream jobs? So what percent of people get to live their dream job or live their passion? And I would venture to say it's a very small amount of people. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was just fortunate enough that my brother was able to take care of me where I, I got cut three times. I got cut from three NFL teams and I was able to come back each year because once you get cut, typically it takes about a year to get back into the cycle, back into the system and to get another tryout. Um, so fortunately for me, the stars lined up where my brother was able to take care of me. because That's the time playing. frame to wait? it's pretty typical for me. It's, I got cut, you know, if I got cut in 1999, I didn't have my next tri- tryout till 2000. Mm. When I got cut in 2000, I didn't have my next tryout to 2001. Then I went and played in Canada. Then I went and played in NFL Europe. Then I got a tryout with another team. Then I got cut again. Then I played in Canada and then I made it from there. Mm-hmm. So my, my, the route that it took for me to get there, I mean, one, I never, like as an underdog, I never stopped believing in myself. And my brother would tell me like, Hey, like I'm with these guys every day. You're, you're better than all these guys. So for whatever reason, whether it was my attitude, whether it was the timing, whether they thought I was a value to the team, the chemistry, it, that, that's just the route that I had to take. And I, and I probably wouldn't change it. So um, by the time I was getting into the league, all my peers that I went to college with, they were all coming out of the league because the average is three years in the NFL. So these cats were coming out of the league. And also, I wasn't drafted, so I had to go try out to make a team when I was done with high school, I didn't get a scholarship. I had to go to junior college. I had to go earn a scholarship, send my tapes all over the country Mm. and convince people that I'd be valuable for your program. Uh So I've always been an underdog and um, I'm I'm not scared of hard work. I actually love hard work. And right now I'm I'm living in a very comfortable point in my life. And I'm like, what am I going to do next? Like, what am I going to do? You know, 2020 wasn't challenging enough. Man, 2020 was super eye opening. You know, not only did I have a baby, but you know, I have 55 
fitness studios that I own and operate through West Coast Fitness. It's Orange Theory Fitness, and I'm a West I'm Coast a, Fitness. West Coast Fitness is the name of our of our ownership group. Okay. Yep. It, doing business as Orange Theory Fitness. Okay. And I'm a GP, which is a general partner, um, and I also have roles within the studios. But um, we were shut down, so I'm like, what am I gonna do? Like for me, what am I gonna do for me? What am I gonna do for for my family? How am I gonna grow in this next year? Or am I just gonna sit here? Which I can. I don't have to work again. I don't have to. I can just chill. You know what I'm saying? And, nice. And I don't. I, I mean, when you're somebody like me, though, that's the worst thing. Yeah. To to stop, right. to have the underdog mentality, and also to be blessed and to be in the position I'm in, um, to stop would be a waste of so much talent and so much I could serve and help. Being active is fulfilling. Absolutely. So I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to do for this next year? And man, I got into some stuff, Max. A lot of beautiful things that I'm working on now and they're all coming to fruition and life is going and things are beautiful. But I like to be uncomfortable. That's what I like. Most people want to get to a point where they're comfortable. I got comfortable and I'm like, this ain't me. So, so for, I think for me, it starts with the grind. Like I love to work. I love to hustle. I love to tinker. I like to innovate. Um, I like to change. I like to improve. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm most fulfilled. So with the league, like once they told me, no, I was like, oh, it's on. Like, let's go. Bam. What am I, what do I got to do for this next year? I went and grinded. Um, man, I would work out probably to get back into the league. I was working out maybe 15 times a week. That's double days. And sometimes it's a triple day with one day off. Man on a mission. Once I got to the league though, I was working out 20 times a week to stay. So once I got there, I worked even harder to stay and that's how I stayed for 10 years. Did you push yourself to work out 20 times a week or did they require it? No, they didn't require it. You don't have to work out at all if you don't want to. But then what's that gonna say about your longevity? How long are you gonna be able to stay? So my goal was to stay as long as I could. Cause I'm making, I'm making cheese. You're making money in the league, right? right. I'm living my dream. I'm playing football. I'm on TV like on I'm Sundays. Bruh, I go to the beach like you. It's like, it's popping. It's good. Everything's good. Life's good. But it got better after I got out of the league, and I know we'll get to that. But um, I, I wanted to stay because I knew I didn't, I didn't want to be back. There's a certain lifestyle I wanted to live. I felt fulfilled playing football. I loved that I could uh, be with my family for half the year, play football half the year, um, or at least take my kids to school half the year. I was with my family the whole year, but at least I could drive my kids to school half the year. I thought it was a really good, a really good schedule for the family and conducive for the family. Um, but now I get to drive my kids to school every day. I get to drive them to practice every day. You make your own schedule. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a dog, really, when it comes down to it. What, um, what did football teach you about life? It taught me that things aren't going to go your way, and that's life. And um, If you're lucky enough, you'll be on a good team. You'll be surrounded by good people that support you and, and fulfill you. It taught me that the main thing isn't always the main thing because there's a lot of philanthropy in football. The franchise does a lot in the community. They help a lot of people um, in a lot of different facets of life. And then there's a lot of different people. And in life, you, gotta, you have to get along with people. Mm. And on a football team, there's 60 players. There's uh, 20, 30 coaches. There's 20 or 30 other staff. Everybody's there to support and help you. So the ecosystems are very healthy ecosystem for the most part when you're on the right teams. And I've always been on the right teams. Um, so it just taught me that it takes a lot of people to get the ship moving and to keep it moving in the right direction. And now that's kind of how I, I, I like to live my life now with my family, with my business, um, healthy uh, company energy, 
uh, people enjoying coming to work and supporting the people that come to work and take care of our business. Mm -hmm. In my family, I want people to come to my house and, and feel welcomed and and have a good time when they're at my house and feel like they are a part of the family. So that's how I, I try to live life now. I try to give a lot of love back. Mm. And um, if I read correctly, you were a captain. So that leadership mentality. So, and um, did you go into business while you were in the football league or you transitioned to business after? Like Yeah, so I, I did it while I was playing. So while I was playing, it was uh, – 2009, I blew out my knee. I was having the best season of my life. I'd never been injured. I played in 150 straight football games, never missed a football game in my career. And then we're playing the Patriots one Sunday, and I was tackling one of my buddies, Sammy Morris, and one of the offensive linemen jumped on the pile, and it blew out my knee. And so uh, at right. the time, I was with my buddy Ed Reed, and um, right before that, that summer before that season, I was with Ed Reed as a Hall of, Hall of Fame safety and Dom Dominique Foxworth, one of the highest paid corners on our team or in the league at that time. And we decided to go to um, Towson University, Baltimore University Business School. So we just wanted to go meet with them and see what it was like. You know, maybe we'll do a business certificate or maybe we'll do the whole MBA program. Mm -hmm. So I went along with it and did some preliminary like testing and whatnot. And I was considering entering the program. Then I blew out my knee. And then I entered the program that following semester. And so I, I eventually transferred out of that program, but I did my MBA while I was playing. And the year that I finished playing in the NFL was also the year I graduated um, from George Washington University with my MBA, my master's in business. So I was doing it concurrently while I was playing. What inspired you to even go check out the program? I think that, like I mentioned, I always want to evolve and I always want to tinker. I always want to improve myself. And... Football is a young man's game. So at the time in 2009, bad math here, but I was like 33, my teammates were 21, 22, 23. Bad math year? No, I'm doing ba bad math. I'm just thinking, you know, I was born in 76 in 2009. Okay, okay I'm 33 <laughs> years old, so bad math. Even though Nigerians are really good at math. Most Africans are really good at math. So I'm, I'm around 33 years old, but my teammates are 21, 22, 23. Okay. And so football is a young man's game. And I was thinking, okay, well, how much time do I have left to play? I don't know how much time I have left to play. But while they're going home and playing PlayStation, I'm going to go to school and get my MBA. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to try to find a way to improve. Like, what's next? What am I going to do after football? So I was already thinking about what was next. Were and you I investing while you were in the league? Not so much because my financial house wasn't in order yet at the time. I had, but I had a lot of investment tools around me, but not like I do now. And so, you know, I know we're going to talk about finances and whatnot, but I didn't have somebody to help me understand and to get my financial house in order. And I have a whole team around me now. But I would say... What's um, a financial house? Man, a, a financial house is... And, and everybody's at different phases in life, but it's having the right team, the right people around you to make proper investments so you continue to grow your wealth. Mm. So I have a financial advisor at... I didn't have my first financial advisor until 2008, and it's a beautiful story. That same financial advisor just last week became a billionaire. Mm. That same, and he's younger than me, so um, he just became a billionaire. So shout out to Tara Wolf. For anonymity, I won't say the young man's name, but shout out to Tara Wolf. We're doing really well, and I got in on that investment. But um, so I had a financial advisor. I had someone to do life insurance. I have a tax attorney, accountant, a venture capital firm. Um, and then an insurance agent that does ancillary insurance. 
And so those are six people that make up my financial house. Mm. What type and of insurance is that? So, uh, so there's life insurance, which I think is the most important one, um, especially if you, if you just got married. But um, whether that's insuring my house, my cars, an umbrella policy if somebody gets hurt at my house, an umbrella policy if I hurt somebody while I'm driving, insuring my businesses. Um, so I have a different insurance agent that helps me with that stuff. But um, I think the most important one is probably my, my life insurance. Did business school help you set this up or plan for this? Or? It did. It did to a certain extent because it made me see life differently through business school. And, but it also let me know that, that I see things differently. And the way that I see things, I have, I've been blessed with an intuition to be able to deconstruct things very well. And when you can deconstruct something and put it back together, you can usually put it back together better okay. than the creator based off the way that I'm designed. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm not so good at building my own things, I'm better at taking something that you give to me, taking it apart, putting it back together better than what you gave it to me, mm -hmm. to serve me at least. Mm -hmm. So business school taught me that I had a unique eye and a unique ability, but um, a lot of it was just going through the very basic principles of finance or the very basic principles of accounting. And those were life changing moments for me, which is, yeah, I hope I can share some of those tips uh, today. And I hope that um, education is, is communication given in such a way that it's palatable. So you can taste it, you can chew it, then you can di digest it mm -hmm. and then you can apply it. But if, if, if you can't understand it, then it doesn't matter who's teaching it. So I'm hoping I can give it to you guys in a way where you guys can understand some of the mm -hmm. things that I'm saying today. Whoever has the ear to hear will take it. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. So like you said, you, uh, you have a, a way, a uh, gift, like seeing things, uh, deconstructing and putting it back together. You use those, those skills uh, while playing football. Does that, does that help in any type of way? I think, I think in football, football is actually a very complex sport. And so with football, you have – you have 11 people on the field all have a different assignment. Mm -hmm. I think what football taught me is to focus on my assignment, to know what the people around me are doing, and then working together so we can all get these things achieved and accomplished. And then some of these assignments can change real time. But I think, you know, football's team building, football's community, football's family, football's uh, dealing with different personalities and everything's ultimately bigger than you. And that's the biggest thing that football taught me. Like, my family is bigger than me. I'm nothing without my family. Mm -hmm. So football taught me that things are better when you achieve goals and dreams with other people and you do it together versus being lonely and doing it by yourself. That's the biggest takeaway from football. Mm -hmm. All right. And then I want to transition into business. It, where did Orange Theory come in? When, when? Yeah, so I had... Kind of the story from Orange Theory is that uh, my first kind of entrepreneurial brick-and-mortar retail business venture was a yogurt shop. Food. Yeah, it was food. But, like, I don't have no passion for yogurt. <laughs> and you know how many $5 yogurts it's going to take to cover all the overhead and all the expenses? Like, these are, this is before business school. Like, you need to, okay. like, are you passionate about this? Do you really want to work in yogurt? But you the know opportunity was there. The opportunity was there, and I took it, and ultimately, the yogurt shop, I could get it to break even, but I was working, so I would do my two to three workouts in the off-season, then I would go talk to customers, and we had this organic yogurt that had the best machines, and it was a boutique frozen yogurt shop, and it was cool, but 
that wasn't my passion, like me serving you organic yogurt, you know what I'm saying? So um, I got it to break even. And then eventually I had to understand like, okay, I could work to get it profitable, but I don't want to work in yogurt. So I had to cut my losses. And so, you know, that was an expensive education, but it wasn't a failure because it let me know that, hey, instead of taking my own thing, let me take a franchise and I could take a franchise to the next level. So um, on February 6th, because the day is very important to me, 2013, I walked into my first Orange Theory. The reason I know the date is because on February 3rd, 2013, I won a Super Bowl. And I'd just been playing football for eight months straight. My body was beat up and my wife's like, we're going to go work out. And I'm like, no, we're not. I'm about to lay in this bed for two weeks. <laughs> and she's like, well, if you want to start cooking your own meals, then, then you can lay in bed, but just make sure you're ready to cook your own food. If you want to come work out with me, then I'll, you know, I'll continue to cook dinner and put some food on the table Sounds for you. Fit. Right. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So I walked into my first orange theory. It was the first location in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which I lived for 10 years. I know you're from South Florida. Mm-hmm. And 10 so, years. Yeah, I lived there for 10 years. It's a home away from home. All my uh, kids, two of my three kids were born there. Wife was born there. Um, yeah, because I played with the Dolphins. So I had an amazing time in South Florida. Yeah, mm-hmm. for a lot. I'll probably buy another condo or something down there at some point. You've experienced the hurricanes down there? Absolutely. My kid was born in, in uh, one of those big hurricanes in 2005. But yeah, I experienced a lot of those hurricanes. It's scary. That's part of it. That's part of living there, though. Um, so yeah, I. Walked into an Orange Theory, and then I instantly knew. I took a picture, took a selfie. I was on IG at the you time, You just went too. to work out? I just went to work out. And it, it, so here, you got to listen to the universe, Max. When the universe is talking to you and things are presented to you, whether good or bad, you have to listen. And so, you know, not only was I not wanting to go, but then when I did go, and then I started looking into the franchise, because I'm about to graduate from B-School, business school. And so their headquarters were upstairs, and there's 1,300 Orange Theories now, but like, what are the chances I'm gonna go into the first one and then their headquarters are gonna be upstairs? And it's also gonna be 2013 and they, they maybe had 50 locations at the very time. The first one in Fort Lauderdale. The very first one in the world. We're in 30 countries now, but it was the very first one in the world. So the universe was talking to me. Like, that's the thing. Like, I've been so blessed and fortunate. Beyond, like, beyond being a hard worker, beyond you know, working on my education and trying to be the best person that I can be, like I'm also blessed and things come to me. Um, I've had some tough times, but I've had so many more good times and and, and been so blessed and so fortunate. So things come to me and it's like, okay, like, what are we going to do? So, you know, I turned, you know, that was, that was my first experience with Orange Theory and met with the the founders of the company, Dave Long and Ellen Latham, and they love me and I love them. And bam, I started investing and I helped bring it to California now I just went to my um, my uh, Koreatown location right up the street. Mm-hmm. So I started my morning there, and I'll drive home. I'll hit up the West Hollywood or the La Brea, then I'll finish at Century City, and then I'll go home. But um, now Making we rounds. have yeah, make some rounds. You know, shake hands, kiss the babies. You know, meet them. You know, meet some of the because we have a lot of new employees coming back. But um, so that was my first experience, and now you know we have fifty five of these things. We're in. I'm in. You know, personally, I have ownership in Australia, Ohio, mostly California, but um, it is my it is my main thing now, bringing fitness grew, to the people. You guys grew f- pretty fast. So the company started in 2010, and so now it's 2011. We have 1,300 locations. Not too many. Some have shut down because of COVID, but prior to COVID, none had ever shut down. Mm. Yeah. So the company is it's an amazing company. People love the the concept. People love it. I mean, you've done the workout yeah, before. It's intense. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that um, the, the, the style of training and fitness, we put a lot of time and effort into it. We have a medical advisory board. So whatever we say is scientifically proven, we don't just do things to do it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there's always a purpose behind the way that we train and what we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from a business standpoint, it's a very efficient business model. Um, I'm an area developer. So that means like I bought a county. So I bought Santa Clara County. I bought Los Angeles County with my partners. We bought Melbourne, Australia, Cincinnati, Ohio, Sacramento. And then we can develop Orange Theories and then we can also franchise them out. So which you, we don't do, you bought the county for Orange Theory? Yeah. Uh, where where to next? Where you, where, what are you eyeing next? What locations? So, you know, Orange Theory is going to continue to grow. You know, hopefully, you know, we have 55 locations now. Hopefully we can grow it to 100 locations. And then also want to be multi, multi-branded. multi So, you know, maybe look at some other franchises that are synergistic with Orange Theory and get into that. I have my eye on, on a couple other franchises that I think are going to be big and be the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm doing my diligence right now on those. Um but uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm at a point where um, I've achieved a lot entrepreneurially. There's still I want to achieve and accomplish. And, and I've given back a lot to the community as well. But I think, you know, as I transition over these next five years, I'll transition more to giving back uh, to the community than uh, trying to go out there and, and conquer entrepreneurially. Why fitness? From, f- from football, Orange Theory. So... Fitness has always been my thing. And fortunate for me, I was able to take all the fitness I did as a kid because I did junior lifeguards, track, baseball, basketball, football, diving, mountain biking, skateboarding, tree climbing, tag, like wrestling. There's so many things I did. And I was able to translate that into, you know, being a professional athlete. But before I was a professional athlete, I was always into fitness. I always loved sports. And so... Now as an adult, well, I thought to myself, like, okay, entrepreneurially, the next thing I go into, you know, is there a problem in America? And if there's a problem, how can I solve that problem? If I can solve that problem, then I'll wake up with purpose. And is there something I'm passionate about where there's a problem? And if I can solve that problem, I I wake up with purpose, I wake up with passion, and I can turn it into a profit. Or if there's not a profit component, which I also looked at when I was going through my MBA, then there's a philanthropic component. Mm-hmm. So um, through a problem, I can help people if I can solve this problem, or I can do something philanthropic. It's so it, it happened to be fitness and happened to be Orange Theory because we live in a country where the poorer you are, the sicker you are. But also, we have an epidemic going on before COVID with obesity, mm-hmm. hypertension, exactly. diabetes, um, heart disease, and so on and so forth. So I thought that, you know, hey, let me get into the fitness game and see if I can really turn this thing out. And now, you know, each location has about 800 members. So 55 locations times 800 members, I get to directly impact those people. That's um, a lot of people per location. That's a lot of people. I don't know the math. Hmm. Yeah, purpose definitely a, a motivator to wake up and be feel fulfilled, especially when there's a lot of work to be done. Um, fitness and then like investment wise, what's like the portfolio looking like? Is it just health and fitness? Um, so, I mean, the only thing that's health and fitness that, so yeah, so the portfolio is robust and, you know, I have what I put my time and energy to, and then I have things where I'm a limited partner, things that I invest in Mm. where I'm like, you know, pre, you know, before these companies go public. And then I have money where I'm just, you know, a stockholder, a shareholder in. Mm. 
Um, but I have a lot, you know, there's a lot of different things I, I, I invest in. But we talked about a little bit earlier, like I believe in Tesla. I believe in their mission. I think they're changing the world. They're changing the planet. I invest in genomics companies where they do gene editing and they want to um, edit disease out of people like the common cold or cancer or certain things, you know, through gene editing. So that's the genomic space I invest. Does in. that work? I mean, it's very early on, but it is going to be the next. So there's a company called CRISPR I invest in, um, Arc Genomics through Kathy Woods. Um, it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a day where humans don't have any diseases. We, we're we're going to be living 200 years. You know, eventually we're going to be downloading our, our, our brains and our consciousness into these sleeves, you know, like really that sci-fi stuff you see is really going to be the future at some point in time. But What's, um, what's the, the con to, to going that route? So, I mean... If you look in the past, the average age of a human was 30 years. Now the average age of a human is 85 years, you know? So I, I think if you can have a high quality of living, um, it's just a matter of time before you live your organic life and then you live your whatever's next, your, your life in a sleeve or, you know, we're, you know, we might be talking a thousand years in the future, but um, yeah, I, I don't know what the future holds and there, there's, you know, there's a give and take for everything But yeah, I mean, there's going to be, there might be a point in the future where planet Earth is, you know, half the people walking around are, are organic genetic beings and the rest are cyborgs, you know, who knows? Cyborgs, wow. <laughs> so like, um, as far as like uh, health, um, people don't, when it comes to nutrition, they're not eating um, the way they should. Like it's abusing the foods, eating the wrong foods. I, I believe like there should be more emphasis put on that versus gene editing, but like I don't know much about gene editing, so like you'd have to fill me in. But what what are your thoughts about the emphasis that's put on um, nutrition and, and like solutions and different types of solutions? Right. So the gene editing edit, editing thing is just something that's being worked on right now. You know, like there's there's different innovations that we're all benefiting from right now. You have certain vaccinations. I have certain vaccinations. Um, that we've all received as children. Um, there's different medicines and medications that we've, you know, these are things that don't include food. Just through medicine and technology, we're going to live longer. Now, if you add the food component to it, now you're going to live even longer. But look at the quality of the food. Like, you know, we always talk, there's a give and take. So we have enough food to give to people. Some of the food is GMO, you know what I'm saying? It's not organic food. The way that we farm in America is that the soil's not very healthy at all, and the soil only has a a short lifespan and then you don't have these poly farms where you're growing all kinds of different crops where they're synergistic and there's a whole cycle to having livestock and plants and in this this circle we're just growing one crop where you take all the nutrients out of the out of the soil whereas in Europe they don't farm that way so there's a lot of different things we need to do kind of just to get back to basics but then there's also science that can help us live even longer but yeah I mean I think food is the most important thing your 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 body's an engine your heart's an engine your digestive system's an engine That engine can only process so much fuel over the course of a lifetime. So let's call the fuel calories. So however many calories you consume in a day, the more you eat and the more you process, then the shorter that lifespan is going to be. And, and so that's from a digestive standpoint, right? So mm. let's just say we all can digest over a lifetime a billion calories. Like whoever gets there first, that's a race you probably don't want to win. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then funny. from our hearts... Why do we, you know, why do I work out the way I work out with high intensity interval training, more anaerobic training is that our hearts are the same. We only have so many heartbeats. The harder you work out, 
the, the, the more heartbeats you're going to produce and the less heartbeats you're going to have while you're resting. So while I might work, you know, I work out about four to five hours a week, intense workouts. That's it. Four to five hours a week. I want to get my heart rate up. It's like five, five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. Five days a week. Um, probably more like every other day, but then I go on walks and I do some kind of low intensity things or maybe some of my lifting in terms of getting my heart rate up three days a week. And then I'll add some additional lifting where my heart rate doesn't get up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then at rest, I have less beats per minute. So now my resting heart rate is under 50 beats a minute, you know, so I'm just chilling. But, um, and then that's another race you don't want to win. You don't want to get to that few billion heartbeats that the average heart has before it gives out. So I work out hard. So at rest, my heart's just cool and calm. Yeah. Um, they took me to the ER once. Um, they told me like yeah. the heart rate was too low and, the, and eventually like, Oh, it must be because it's an athlete because it doesn't seem sick. Right. Everything else seems to check out. Right. And I was like, interesting. Oh, you so, will be here for a long so, time. So what, so what you're saying make, makes sense. Yeah. And like, what's your nutrition like? Since so I, I think, you know, I, I believe everything in, in moderation. Um, one thing I can say, I've never, I've never drank alcohol and I've never had recreation drugs before, ever in my life. Ah. So with that being said, though, I love, I, I enjoy eating. And yeah, appetite. Uh, I have a pretty decent appetite. You know, I'm like, I'm like 225, you know, right so now? I gotta, I gotta put some, you know, I gotta put some fuel in How the was system. your weight? I played at about 235, but I had a lot, a lot more uh, lean body mass than now. Okay. Um, so I'm a little soft right now, but I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get it back. I want to get down to 205 though. 205? I want to get down to 205. How tall are you? 6'1". 205, 205 yeah. is still a good weight. Bring the 30 inch waist back. Yeah, I want to. So that's something I'm working on. So I'm going to manifest. I know you, you look, you got a big frame. So I have a decent sized two, frame. Two or five, you might be starving. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But I think, you know, I've got as, I've got as low as 210. But um, I enjoy eating. Um, I like natural foods. Um, but yeah, I definitely have a sweet tooth. Um, and then we eat pretty healthy in my house as well. My wife likes to cook and we like to really indulge. One of our favorite snacks is chips and salsa or some guacamole, you mm -hmm. know, but, um, we definitely enjoy eating in my house, but I think you have to have a, re a healthy relationship with food. Obviously you have to have a healthy relationship with working out a healthy relationship with money, um, a healthy relationship with sleep, um, and all those things, you know, properly balanced so you could live your best life. And I just started paying more attention into my digestive system. Yeah, like I I ate some fish that went bad, and I paid the price for like weeks. Yeah, so, so you got food poisoning. Yeah, something like that, and yeah. and I, I put too many spices on it as well. So it was like a combination of a couple of things that went wrong, and I was taking like fish uh, omega right. fat fish pills that also were expired. Right. So I was like, whoa, I'm I'm just thinking I can just put anything in and I'm fit. I can okay. deal with it, but. Right. Now I'm like taking stuff, making sure I got the right uh, bacteria in here to yeah. process the food and not abuse um, calories like you were saying as well because it's, it's an engine. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah, a couple things I do is I do intermittent fasting, so I don't eat till 11. So I haven't had a meal yet today. So when I leave here, I'll probably get, break a little bread, get a meal. What does um, that do for you? So it does a lot of things. Um, what it does is it lets your body just run on itself. So I try to stop eating at 7 at night. And then I won't eat my first meal till 11. But by the time I go to sleep, my body's empty. And then what happens is you get into a ketosis state, so a fat burning state. And then you also start producing stem cells. So it starts to heal. Like my body's been beat up. You know, I played all those years of football. I trained hard. Mm -hmm. um, 
So still training hard now. I don't try. I don't see. Right. I, I think I, I still train hard. Like I can still run a five minute mile, but it's just a different kind of training. You know, I used to be able to hit 315, 15 times squat, you know, 405, right. 20 times. Like, but That's I don't a lot do of stress I don't, on the body. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. You know, so I want to be able to go, but I want to be able to perform in a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be able to run a sub 21 5k. I want to be able to run a five minute mile um, weights. I still want to be long strong. distance. That's not long distance though. Like I don't run marathons. <laughs> for, I won't run. I won't, I, won't, I won't run a marathon. Um, but I won't do anything over twenty minutes. You know, around twenty-two, twenty-three minutes is my threshold because I also don't want to burn too much muscle either. Mm -hmm. But uh, around twenty-three minutes of cardio, if it's intense, and that'll be some walking in there, I won't pass that threshold. Um, I don't want to get catabolic either. But um, but yeah. So I, I do intermittent fasting. It does a lot of health benefits. For intermittent fasting and everyone's like oh i need to eat every six hours or i need to eat every four hours three hours well guess what humans when we lived out in it, you we know out in the savannas and yeah, in the caves no nah, you were eating when you went and hunted and that was the only time you were eating yeah <laughs> um and then there's a company called viome talking about your microbiome it's a b-i-o-m-e and i don't have any affiliation it's just an amazing company um you can do a stool analysis and a blood analysis and they'll tell you all the foods that work for your body. So they'll give you superfoods. It'll tell you foods to eat. It'll recommend foods. Yeah. And then it'll tell you foods to avoid. And to so check them out. Some of the foods that I was supposed to avoid was uh, broccoli, tomatoes, and um, curry. And I didn't know that those were on my foods to avoid. But these things change. Because, you know, you think people know that they have allergies to certain things. Some people know they can't eat shellfish. Some people know they're gluten intolerant. Some people know they're lactose intolerant. But really, it's every food on the spectrum that you have intolerances to. And so you have to know and understand your body. Even, you know, if something makes you gassy, you have an intolerance to it. If uh, something makes you, you know, if you feel a little bit sore and you haven't been working out, it's probably the food that you're eating. So people just have to be able to read the signs of what the food is doing to their body. And then Viome kind of confirms that. How did you discover that company? Man, they probably just solicited me one day on Instagram or something. No, actually, uh, I was watching something like uh, Dr. One of those Dr. Day shows. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. those, those daytime D TV right. shows. I can't remember his name. The doctor that touches everybody. It, was it just one doctor or a couple of them? It was just one doctor. I don't remember the names. but yeah, I, I don't remember his name. But he said he, everyone, all the women loved him. He would touch everybody. And, <laughs> and a, not in an inappropriate way, but he was just very touchy-feely. Anyways, um, he brought this guy on. And the guy's like, my goal is to eliminate disease through diet. It's and medicine. so he started, yeah. medicine. So he, he started this company. Well, let, let thy food be thy medicine and let thy medicine be thy food. That was his philosophy. And I don't know if that was Socrates or some great philosopher said that back thousands of years ago. And it's true. So um, through food, he wanted to be able to heal the common cold, cancer, anything, and be able to rid it from the body. And so he started this company, Biome. And um, I've been using it for maybe six or seven years. So um, how, what's, what's the process of working with them? Well, I mean, as I just... customer. As, yeah, I mean, as a customer, like, you just go online, you order the kits, whatever it is that you're looking to do, and then you send them the samples, and then they send you back the information. And then I just go on my app, and I look, oh, superfoods, foods to avoid. And then, you know, over time, I maybe do that twice a year, and I know kind of what my foods are. Look that up. That's Yeah, it's pretty... And six when years? I was, I've been using it for about six years, yeah. You've seen a difference? Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a difference. But, you know, some of your favorite foods and some healthy foods are on that list to avoid. So you got to be able to be disciplined enough to take those foods that you loved and you've been eating to take them off your list and then apply the superfoods. So one of my superfoods was jicama. You know that root jicama? No. 
some, uh, you know, Jamaica, if you go to the little fruit stands, the little Mexican fruit stands, mm-hmm. they have that jicama there at those fruit stands. But, um, and it's very uh, prevalent in Asian food as well. So one of my superfoods was jicama, olive oil, um, and I can't, you know, some of the other foods are just common foods that I eat all the time, but I'm like, damn, let me add extra olive oil to my diet. Let me add extra jicama to my diet. But when I get dialed in, which when I get to 205, I'm going to be have to be, I'm going to have to be using all my superfoods to get there. That's really, that's next yeah, and level then it told me to, your it body. T- it told me to eat pork over any other meat as well. Pork? Yep. So I started eating pork. I hadn't eaten pork in 20 years. I started adding pork back to my diet. They, they, okay. Uh, <laughs> if they're recommending pork, I don't know. Pork's a clean food. It just depends where it's farmed. I mean, same with your beef, same with your fish, same with your chicken, your eggs, your milk. It just all depends on where it comes from. That's the only thing that matters. They recommend shrimp and shellfish, shell food? They do if, if, if that's part of your, you know, unless you have the allergy to it. But it's all a DNA. They study your microbiome and they do some DNA analysis. And if, if it comes up right, then they'll tell you to eat it. It doesn't matter. Interesting. Yeah, for me, I didn't have a gluten, so it said I could eat gluten. So I'm, you know, I, I kept the pasta and the bread. That's really how I get my olive oil in, just through pasta and bread. Hmm. It's technology, so it's interesting, you know. Path water. Um, it tastes pretty good. Is this what you've been drinking lately? Yeah, you know, I think th- this is what I drink. And funny enough is I found this company. I was at Tokaya Organic Mexican Restaurant, yeah. and I saw this bottle in, in Tokaya. And I grabbed it. They were selling it? They were selling it. I grabbed it. And um, I saw there was an email on here. And the water was good. And the water was cold. And I was like, oh, let me reach out to this company. and It it keeps the water cold, huh? It keeps it colder, yeah, longer. And I'm like, let me reach out to this company and see if I can get these in my Orange Theory Fitness Studios. Just as a customer, I wanted to get this. And and right here on the bottle, it says uh, refill, not landfill. And then I started learning about their mission and their sustainability and what they're trying to do with the company and I ended up investing in the company. And now, you know, I'm pretty heavily invested in the company. I've been working with them for three or four years now. And, and I love their mission. And it, it, it resonates with my ethos and my mantra uh, of living a sustainable uh, green life, kind of like driving my Tesla. I like that. So you're, you're going green everywhere. So are you vegan? No, I eat. I eat you pork? I, yeah, so I'm, a straight, I'm a straight carnivore, dog. I'm Eventually, sure you're going to cut, cut out the meat completely. I don't think so. I don't think so. If, if it comes back on my biome that says meat doesn't serve me, but, I mean, we got here because of meat. We became as intelligent as we are because of meat. We evolved because of meat. I mean, that's what science says, and I believe in science. So, wait, intelligence, more intelligence because, because of meat. eating? Mm-hmm. How so? It increased our brain power. There's more calories and fat and animal fat. It decreased um, our kind of our skull size. It allowed our brains to be bigger. Um, through cooking meat, and then it gave us more nutrients. So if you were to debate a vegan, you'd win? I'm not saying I'd win um, because I believe there's benefits to plant-based eating as well. And so at the end of the day, what Biome taught me is that you have to eat with what's right for you. Customized. Broccoli doesn't work for me. Tomatoes don't work for me. Pork works for me. Hikama works for me. Olive oil works for me. So if I want to live my healthiest life, then those are the things I need to put into my system. System, and then with um, financial literacy for people like myself that are fairly new in investing, like in the audience, what are some of the first steps they should take to get you know the knowledge and you know start getting their fingers wet? Right. 
So I think that, you know, this app Robinhood came about and it made it accessible for people to invest and it made it very easy, a great UI user interface and UE user experience in investing. Um, so I think, you know, one thing you should do is just get on Robinhood or it could be Webull or it could be any of those investing apps that you can do online. You use Robinhood? I have five brokerages that I use, mm -hmm. but the bulk of my money is in a brokerage with my financial advisor. Mm -hmm. But I have... I put some I put some money in Robinhood and in uh, Webull and Fidelity, mm -hmm. and I did very well last year with that money. I outperformed my financial advisor uh, by over a hundred percent in my picks, but um, that's neither here nor there. But I think what you got to do is, like I said, you have to have a, a healthy relationship with money. So throw some change in there and start making trades. Get used to making trades. Like for me to to do a seven figure trade now, it's not it's not crazy for me to do a seven figure trade. When I first started trading. I was like, oh man, like I couldn't pull the trigger on a $500 trade, a $1,000 trade. Then I got bigger, 50 grand, 60 grand. Um, just over the weekend, I was swing trading um, uh, Bitcoin over the weekend and I bought it. At, you know, I bought Are it. Are you back? Yeah. I'm, I, well, I'm, so my <laughs> philosophy changed a little bit to buy and sell the crypto. I believe in crypto. Just the technology is amazing. But just getting comfortable making those trades, you know, I bought, I bought you know, I bought some coins at like, 30, 31 or 30,000. Mm -hmm. And then it just hit 35 today. Yeah. And so then I got out. So, you know, I okay. bought a few coins and I, I got in and got out. Switched I, up the strategy. But the, the, the important thing though, is what I'm really trying to say is that you have to go in there and you have to make trades. You have to have this healthy relationship with money because here's the first two things. And I thought about this, like these are the most important things right now when you're investing. So you have to understand the future value of a dollar. So money sitting in the bank is worth less tomorrow. Money invested is worth more tomorrow. So it doesn't matter how much money you're sitting on. If your money's not working for you, if it's sitting in a bank, your money's working against you because of inflation. Um, so so the, 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 the time value of, of money. And then the other thing with investing in just life in general is opportunity cost. What does an opportunity cost you? And you have to think like, okay, I'm going to go to school for four years and school's going to cost me Let's say over the course of four years, school's going to cost me 50000 But in 10 years, I'm going to be making a million dollars a year. Say you walk away um, with a little bit of debt and you get to that $10 million. But what if you go work, though? So that's the, what if you go work and you decide to work and get practical knowledge and education working in a job? And then you, in 10 years, you get to that same salary at, at a million dollars in 10 years. Well, you didn't have that cost of going to school. You learned practically and you worked your way through. So people have to be able to, de de to deduce what is best for them. What's the opportunity cost of doing A versus B? And then you have to sit down and you have to look at it logically. So with, with investing, those are the first thing, because you have energy is money, right? Your time and your energy, you get, you get paid for your time and energy. So opportunity right. cost, and then what's the future value of a dollar? And the reason I said that is because people will invest and their money might be in certain investment tools, making 10% a year. And so you have 10 grand in there making 10% a year, but you have a revolving 10 grand in your credit card debt that's appreciating in your bill. It's appreciating at 17% APR. Well, you're really losing 7%, right? So it'd make more sense to pay off the credit card bill and then to invest in something else. Now on the flip side, if that money is doing 20% and your credit card debt is doing 17% where you're being charged 17% where you're up 3%. Well, let's get more money into working for us at 20%. So 
people have to look at like, you know, why, why are you paying off the credit card bill or are you investing or is your money sitting in a savings? And then you go from there. Those are the basics. But then there's kind of other steps for your financial house that you need to put in place before that. Is that a Roth IRA? Is that a 401k? Is it life insurance? Is it buying a home, investing in securities? Like that's putting your financial house in order. So you have to be able to put all those things together. And there's not a place for people to learn about that. No place. You guys got you to get, get into it. You got to go ahead and get into it. So like if you're married, if you just got married and you're planning on having babies and or say you have a one or two or three year old, you better have a life insurance policy. Because what if something happens to you? You're going to be one of those people that's going to be on. Um, what's that app that everybody's using to help them when they get in trouble? Uh, GoFundMe. You're going to okay. be that person with the GoFundMe. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if you got your financial house in order, you don't need a GoFundMe because you already did a life insurance policy, so everything's already taken care of. So um, it's, it's life insurance isn't sexy. Um, it's not going to make you a ton of money, but it's going to put you in a secure position so you can take care of your family. And um, I'm not an insurance agent. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thoughts on the real estate? Are you investing in real estate? So I have a little bit of real estate. So you know, real estate's not a liquid asset. So, you know, I have a nice home I live in LA. I pay, paid a lot of money for that home. Of course, I, I, um, I have Seen a the mortgage. photos, it look nice. Yeah, of course, I have a mortgage on that home because if I can get money at three to 5%, like I already know I'm doing 100% in the market, right? So why pay a house with cash? I don't understand why people buy houses or cars with cash. You put your money in the market and, and borrow money from someone else as long as you're outperforming it. But, um, but if I want to, you know, if I, like this is my home hub, But like if I had a bunch of real estate all over the place, especially if you're young, you have one spot, but um, it can't move with you. So I think real estate is something you do when you're comfortable. Or if real estate is your investment game, like you are in the real estate business, then real estate is great for you. Mm. But if you're not in the real estate business, then don't buy a bunch of real estate. Just go to the stock market because the stock market's liquid. But I, I still like real estate. With that being said, I have a few properties. So, How's the housing market looking? These days, the house market is strong. You know, the, the house market is strong. It, depending on where you go, it's really regional, but but amazing real estate. You know, Miami, L.A., um, New York City is a little bit off right now. Austin, Texas, like amazing real estate's amazing real estate. People really want to live in homes after COVID. They want to have their space and they want their home to be their sanctuary. So the housing market did go up. Hmm. Yeah. So um, I I saw you make a post about selling uh crypto doge coin and uh bitcoin Ethereum, like I, I, it was probably a month or two ago right and then you said you bought <laughs> so like do you think you should have you should have held it no i did the right thing so here's the thing you have to figure out what your investment philosophy is and that can change over time because the market changes life changes circumstances change so you have to figure out what's your investment philosophy and then execute your thesis so i believe people don't understand the thing about crypto especially um especially bitcoin is that bitcoin is property bitcoin is a house it's just a digital house mm. and there's only 21 million bitcoins in the world and not all of them are here yet and three million of them are lost. So there's only going to be a maximum of 18 million ever here. They're not all here yet. There's 55 million millionaires in the world. 55 million millionaires in the world. There's 18 million Bitcoins. So every millionaire is not even guaranteed to have one Bitcoin. Um, and so Bitcoin's becoming ubiquitous, meaning that like it's, 
it's household, you know, mm-hmm. and people, everybody knows about it, but everybody's not invested in it. Um, once it gets to the point and it's going to, because the technology is so amazing, it's this digital property, it's a store of value. Um, so once it gets there, then the price is really going to take off. But over time, the price goes up and down, just like anything. It goes up and down, like the housing market, like stocks, um, watches, anything of value. So once it gets there, eventually I'm going to buy and I'm going to hold. But right now, if I can buy it at 30 and sell it at 35, and then so Friday, every Friday or Saturday, Bitcoin dumps. Go ahead and buy it at 31, 32. And you don't have to buy a full. That's why Robinhood is so good. You don't have to buy a full coin with the stock you can buy partial stocks, mm-hmm. um, fraction, uh, fractionalized stocks, fractionalize your Bitcoin. Um, so buy it. And then on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever you want to get rid of it, then yep. get rid of it. But there will be a time where I buy and hold. And Ethereum, the same thing. I made a lot of money off of cryptocurrency. And I'm relatively new, even though I've known about it since probably 2018. Mm-hmm. I didn't start investing heavily into it until November of 2020. And I made a lot of money um, buying it, mostly holding it. Um, but yeah, so I bought you know, Ethereum, I bought it at 1500 was my average cost. I had 200 coins at 1500 and went to 4,500 dog. So I was every day. I was like, Ethereum, it's (laughs) then some things happened. Some catalysts happened. It went down. I sold at 3,500. It went all the way down to 15, back down to almost 1500. So if you ask me like, are you, are you upset that you sold? No, I'm not upset that I sold. I could just buy it all back. It's at 1800 or maybe 2000 right now. I could just buy it all back. You know what I'm saying? But I have all those gains. Um, I'll buy it at a higher entry point, but there's advantages to buying things higher as well. You don't always have to buy things at the lowest. Mm. What's influencing the crypto? Like it went down a lot and now it's. Yeah. So China influences the crypto, Elon Musk and what Tesla's doing, you know, they're kind of tethered influences the crypto, but a lot of it's FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, And that's with anything with the stocks, you know, when, when uh, COVID happened, the whole stock market, but had this amazing V-shaped recovery. You know, a lot of things came back, but stay-at-home stocks got really popular. Zoom, Peloton, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but the same thing happens with crypto. It's influenced by the market. But at the end of the day, like I told you, it's going to be Bitcoin is a rare asset. It's a rare property. And like right now, I mean, I could. I could go buy a place in Manhattan or I could go buy a place in Miami or um, in Dubai or wherever I wanted to. I could buy a place. But then I'm kind of I'm, I'm stuck with that real estate in that place. Or I could just buy Bitcoin. But the barrier to entry is lower for crypto than it is for, you know, for Bitcoin. The barrier to entry, anybody, if you have the money, you can buy it. Whereas um, with homes, you're not going to have a five, five million bucks to buy a $5 million house. You can't buy a piece of that home. But with Bitcoin, if you have five grand, you could buy a piece of a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And then also you have to have credit and go through all these other things to buy these amazing properties in different places of the world or real estate in the United States. Whereas Bitcoin, it doesn't care. You got five grand or you got 500, you can buy it. So I think there's a lot of equality um, on top of all the different things technologically that the coins do, which they all have different purposes, at least the, the coins of value do. Dogecoin doesn't really have a purpose. It, it might be a currency, but Ethereum's not currency, even though it can move currency. And Bitcoin's not currency, even though it can move large amounts of currency. That's not the function for these educational blockchain um, tools. So what's the currency? I mean, the currency will be like XRP, the currency, you know, Bitcoin Cash or um, Dogecoin. Because you don't, like, if I want to go buy something, I don't want to go spend, uh, if Tesla costs 60 grand, I don't want to go spend two coins or 70 grand Tesla. I don't want to spend two coins, uh, two Bitcoins to buy a Tesla, even though Elon Musk accepts it. Um, 
I'd rather just use cash because like I told you, your, your money is worth less every day unless it's invested. Whereas Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're appreciating assets. They're going to be worth Working more every day, especially if it has time in the market. Gotcha. You bought Bitcoin a year ago, it was nine grand. Right now it's at 35,000. So over time, all these current, not all these cryptocurrencies, the, 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 there's a thousand coins. There might be 5% of them might be standing in 10 years. Just like when the, um, when we hit the industrial revolution in America in the 1900s, there was a hundred automakers, only five of them made it out. So it's right now is the, is the, is the crypto coin industrial revolution right now. It's the technological revolution for currency is right now. So in 10 years, you won't see Dogecoin and Shibu Inu and, all these altcoins, you won't see them. You'll see just the ones that have a function and a purpose, and they all have a different purpose. Um, who's regulating them? Nobody. That's the thing. And, and that's why, you know, China, you know, banned cryptocurrency, but then El Salvador, um, or banned Bitcoin, but then El Salvador wants to use it as legal tender. Um, eventually, I mean, nobody can regulate them. And that's the beautiful thing because you don't think the government is going to regulate crypto. They can, they can somehow over time, they need to, they need to interweave themselves with it, but it can't be regulated, you know? So what should the regulations be? Yeah. You should pay taxes. Like you pay taxes on certain other things. Um, and there's certain ways you can moderate it, but, um, there's no way to really regulate it. And the beautiful thing is that I am the bank. So, you know, if I want to let somebody, if I want to let somebody borrow against my crypto, then I can get, the 17% that the credit card company gets. Mm. If I want to do transactions, which we do transactions, somebody's paying 3% to buy everything that we buy on a credit card. Somebody's paying that 3%, whether it's the seller or the, uh, the buyer or the seller, somebody pays it. But through crypto, then you can be the person getting that extra 3% and get that arbitrage, get that spread of money. So the world's evolving and changing. I don't know exactly, you know, where it's going to go with crypto. It's going to be beautiful to see it, but uh, make sure you're just in the know about it. And I think that the younger you are, the more ability you have to see it and to blend into it and to adopt it. The older you are, there's less people that are own crypto. The younger you are, there's more people that are willing to, to buy it. Same with electric vehicles, probably mostly younger drivers driving EVs. Mm. Why is all the younger drivers driving EVs? Well, I'm just saying we adopt the technology. Younger okay. people adopt the technology. You know, gotcha. my mom, she's got an older phone and I got the newest iPhone. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, and I don't use TikTok and I don't use... Uh, what are these other apps? I don't use them, but my kids use all those I other apps. Mean, yeah. yeah, I'm just on, you know, but they adopt the technology, so. And um, the house you spoke of, is it like a house of advisors? Of um, financial My advisors? financial house? Yeah. Financial house. So, like, do you guys meet up and brainstorm and make you know, the next move? Is that how? It yeah, well, the, the life that I live is, like, I need certain things done. So, a lot of my money is in a trust, and I have to get approval to spend my own money, which okay. is fine. Cause there's a, there's a, a lot of protections that, that, you know, I have this trust. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, I need my accountant to be in cahoots with my financial advisor, which I need to be in cahoots with my tax attorney. Mm -hmm. And then through my venture capital firm, a lot of investments that I make, they need to be in cahoots with those people on how to properly adjust my taxes. And I get these K ones at the end of the year. So everybody works for me but they don't necessarily all talk at the same time or we don't meet at the same time. But sometimes like very recently I did this new life insurance policy um, where I needed everybody in the same room. And uh, so we all got on zoom and we chopped it up for two hours on zoom, how, you know, we can make this life insurance policy be the best you know, for me. 
And um, I was very appreciative that they all got on Zoom and did it with me. And of course, they all sent me a bill afterwards. But um, it, it, everyone doesn't necessarily need the level of, of a financial house that I need, but you need to have somebody advising you. And then as things kind of get more complex, like Biggie said, more money, more problems. Mm. As things get more complex, but I'll take these problems over being poor any day. And, uh, but um, as you evolve into this, then you can start building your financial house. It might just start with one or two people. Levels to this. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to share the insight about how the world really works, my brother. Um, guys, Brandon, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm, not gonna, gonna butcher, I'm not gonna butcher your name. Well, let, let me, me let, let me just say something. About I am Badejo. I am Badejo. I am Badejo. <laughs> Brandon, I am Badejo, let, ladies and gents. Let me thank you for having me on the show, Max. Um, I've always appreciated the way you carried yourself. You got a good mi mix of being serious, but you always represent, and then you also have fun. And then I love, obviously, your physique's amazing. You're a handsome guy, and Thank I love you, the, the discipline that goes into taking care of your body. And you're, you know, it's not like you're doing shows and stuff like that. You know, no, you could life, if you, you could if you wanted to, but this is twenty four seven. Whereas you look at some guys that are doing shows, they look good for you know, while they're doing the show. And then in the off season, they look completely different. So this is the way you are 24 seven, a lot of discipline and dedication. And that says a lot about the, person I appreciate you it. So thank you. you know, I've also been blessed, you know, in different ways where like a lot of people have different injuries or genetics, whatever. I, I capitalize on whatever I had and just make, try to make the best out of it. You know, and the, the mentality of the, the underdog mentality, I was inspired me as well. And um, when I see that in people, like, I want to surround myself with people that are, they realize they're underdogs, but that doesn't mean they lay down and die. Right. They're, they're fighters. And there's something special about that. And I appreciate you, you know, being humble, like enough to share your wealth of knowledge. Um, you didn't have to. <laughs> there's a lot of things you could be doing with your time. So I hope God blesses you and your family and the rest of your business ventures. Like I, there's so much more um, I want to talk about. To be continued. Yeah, we'll do yeah, another yeah, one. Yeah, yes, um, we'll do another one. But um, also as a brother, you represent and you served in our military, too. So um, I know there's a you know, there's a lot of things we could we talk about. We'll save it for episode two. Yes, but, um, thank you for being you. And thank you um, for giving me the plat you know, allowing me on your platform to be able to talk to people that I think that I really want to help. Mm -hmm. And I hope that I came off humble just to understand that that I'm just the same as you guys. You know, I grew up and I had challenges and I had to overcome those challenges and now life is completely different and I'm in a new phase of life but if I achieved it then I believe that you can achieve it you applied yourself my brother thank you I couldn't say any better thank you so much guys max your mind tune in Brendan Ayan Badejo that's it right there <laughs>